This is the South Storage Podcast, where we share the knowledge and skills from the industry's leading investors, developers, and operators to help you launch and grow your South Storage business. Your host, Scott Myers, over the past 18 years has acquired, developed, converted, and syndicated nearly 5 million square feet of South Storage nationwide. With the help of his incredible team at SouthStorageInvesting.com, who has helped thousands of people achieve greatness in self-storage. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Self-Storage Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Myers, and, uh, well, here we are. It is at the end of a 2023, uh, although a fantastic year. We are poised and ready for 2024. And so we've got a great lineup for 2024 with incredible guests, topics, series, and uh, we are going to be taking it to the next level. You will see a different podcast uh, self-storage nation from us in 2024. Looking forward to bringing that to you as well. Um, but we thought the best way to be able to maybe cap off what has been a great year in the self-storage is to, once again, go back to the mailbag to celebrate some successes, answer some questions. And then also, you know, there are a lot of questions. We've had a lot of questions as to, all right, Scott, what is your take on 2024? And what should we expect? Rate the year from a one to 10 and or, you know, get the crystal ball out. And so although my crystal ball is in the shop, as we've said several times before, uh, recent information that has come to light has us uh, really bullish on self-storage. And so uh, with that, everybody, welcome to the show. My friend, our host, our producer, Doug. Uh, Doug, welcome back. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I got to think you're, you're bullish. You're, you're, you're inserting the masterclass December 28th, which is yeah getting people geared up for 2024 as, as one bar chart goes down the market mm-hmm. you know another one maybe goes up you know the the opportunities in self-storage it, it does and um so I, I just got back from a mastermind that i'm a part of we have our own mastermind with a whole bunch of rock stars in self-storage but then i'm a part of a larger real estate mastermind with folks that are in all aspects and all asset classes of self-storage and uh, this group is a very, very large. It, it's a um, it's a mastermind that's been around for quite a while, and we pay a hefty fee to be a part of it. But the good news is, is that uh, the ROI is that we get to pay to have some incredible speakers and economists and experts on the other side, the mortgage side, on the financial side, to be able to guide us and and really see a little further down the road. Uh, some folks that are tied in a little closer. Not that anybody's tied in with the feds, but they they understand and they know where to get their information from and their data to help us make better decisions. And so. Yes, uh, we were treated to a whole dose of um, predictions and projections for 2024 that has us all pretty excited. And so we'll get into that a little bit more and, uh, and share that with everyone. But uh, yeah, as you can see, Doug, we're, we're, we're pretty excited about our, about our prospects in 2024. Yeah. And that masterclass you've got coming up on the 28th here, still mm-hmm. in December, that's your, uh, yep. we're going to share some of that, at least some of that info. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that is uh, the goal, and uh, we will be sharing a, a lot of those uh, stats, too. Once again, make sure that everybody is prepared for 2024. So we'll ro- be rolling all that out in the, in the master class. And so this is just a little snippet, uh, just our quick in-between episode, just to cap off of the year. But, uh, yeah, be sure to tune into that master class, or we'll give you the full breakdown. Okay, I'm ready with the mailbag, if you are. I am. This is my favorite part, as you know. Well, and this, you know, this one, this is one of the most often asked questions in various forms. And, and when you think about it, I think it's why... Most, or at least a lot of people listen to the podcast so, so steadily they're listening for success stories. You know, a, a lot of folks get the, the ins and outs. They're listening for the little nuggets, the nuances, what, not just 2023, but what are the success stories that come to your mind? 
<laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting, Doug, because um, I, I think people are maybe looking for success stories right now because they feel that it's so difficult and they just, right now they just want proof that things, the deals are transacting in 2023 because it is a little more difficult market. Uh, some sellers are holding on to properties a little bit more so. They're, they're kind of waiting perhaps for values to go up or to see what, what interest rates are going to do. Uh, there's a lot of competition in self-storage and so there's a lot of folks that are out there shopping for and looking for properties and so it's a little more difficult to find. So I, I think that's primarily where that I see and, and where we feel the questions are coming from. But here, here's the deal. At the end of the day, um, the our, our underwriting, our our approach really hasn't changed. You know, we're looking at the same models, the same underwriting models. Our cost of capital has gone up. That's really the only thing that's changed. But our profit models that are built in and the way that we underwrite and, and approach these projects and how we look at our projections and how we're going to exit and make money, that you know, fundamentally has not changed during this time. So it's still a matter of a numbers game and going out and and we're doing our direct mail. We're we're hitting the ground hard and we have our, our dialers out there that are calling and talking to uh, sellers, uh, potential sellers that are owners. We're talking to the brokers and looking under every single rock to find every opportunity as well as on the conversion side, you're looking at projects to be able to convert and turn into self storage and also some, some developments, some ground up projects that are coming uh, across our, our desk right now. And so, Nothing has changed. Uh, the, our activity level is the same as it has been in, in the past. So what we're seeing right now, uh, to long-winded answer to the question, Doug, is uh, you know the successes that we're seeing personally that we can uh, look to is that uh, there are some folks that are selling their properties that they're they're deciding they don't want to weather this recession. They don't want to wait any longer for rates to come back down. Uh, the same reasons that people sell are the same reasons people always sell: death, divorce, bankruptcy. You know, changes in the marketplace. They've depreciated it. Um, for a number of years and now it's just time to sell. And so we just want to be able to, you know, our, our mailer to land on their desk when it's time for them to sell or our phone call to hit at the time when they're when they're considering it uh, as well. So the successes uh, are coming in the, in the form of uh, really just persistence and hard work. What we're seeing, I, I would say one change that we are seeing right now, Doug, we've had to dust off our seller financing tactics and strategies where we're, you know, talking to the sellers about the reasons why it is a win-win for them you know, if they if they do want to sell right now, since lending is a little more difficult, that uh, a way for them to be able to sell their property, get out from under the management, still profit from it, and then also be able to profit even more if they become our bank and participate in the deal for a while, they actually get more money for their property by staying in. Um, and that allows us to bridge that gap between the difference of what banks are, are lending as well as uh, then the purchase price that they want. So our, our success has come in the way of being able to su successfully negotiate uh, more of those projects, and and we've been rewarded for it. And many of our students have as, as well. And so we are seeing, uh, again, a number of projects that we're getting across the finish line. The capital stack looks a little different. Uh, the negotiations uh, look a little bit different. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, they're still ready, willing, and able sellers as, uh, as there are buyers in the marketplace. And so uh, nothing has changed from that standpoint. The next question is about how to analyze market trends? What's the quickest, easiest, best way to identify the opportunities? And just to add to that, is the quickest, easiest, necessarily the best way to analyze the market trends, I would add? Uh, yeah, yeah, very. Uh, yeah, that, that's correct. And so there's no quick way of looking at market trends. There's a quick way of doing a snapshot at a market analysis and finding out what your supply index is and what that looks like in terms of your competition and demand. And uh, you, you can do a market analysis in terms of rates and find out what everybody's charging for the rents. And then you plug that into your underwriting model. 
but but you're right, Doug. As far as trends, you know, we got to go back, you know, historically and dig a little bit deeper to find out, you know, is this a strong market? Has it been continuing to increase in population? You know, 1.5 percent, 1.6 percent, 2 percent, or or more, and have they sustained that over several years? And what is what is driving that? Um, at the same time, if it's stayed the same, you know, stagnant, you know, either decrease a little bit, gained a little bit. Well, why why is that as well? If other areas are are gaining, and is there you know is there anything wrong with this market? Uh, are, is there any industry that has moved out? Is this market beholden to one particular industry that may not be doing so well, or a one large or two large employers in the same industry that have moved out that are going to affect it? So, yeah, we need to look under the hood and find out a, a little bit more about the demographics uh, of the market itself. You know, we primarily, as you know, we've been focusing on, you know, we call them the smile states. Uh, so the sunshine states down in the southeast part of uh, the country and down along the coast. And uh, there's a lot of growth down there and we see population growth as well. But that doesn't mean that there are many other markets and MSAs throughout the country that are fantastic places to live. Uh, secondary markets, tertiary markets where people are migrating to that are also seeing a rise in population and they may not have either enough storage or sophisticated players like ourselves to come in and to be able to you know, take market share in addition to filling in a need uh, as well. So uh, again, the answer is uh, it depends. And um, with, with market trends, you know, we need to take a look under the hood a little bit closer and to look at a little more you know, history and longevity uh, to determine what those trends are. And, and I guess one other piece to add to that, Doug, and, and for the, the, the caller who uh, sent the question in, and that is, you know, what are the trends that we're seeing in uh, in the economy right now as well. Where do we think interest rates are heading? And that's really also, yes, it affects the property, but it is going to affect the market as well and our purchasing decisions. So, you know, how is that going to affect certain parts of the country, if it is at all, uh, but more importantly, the market in general? You mentioned the growth in the Southeast, the smiling states. W what's driving that? I'm curious. Well, you know, we, we've seen through the pandemic that, you know, many employers allowed their their workers to go home. And, you know, even though many employers have been toying with this uh, for years and, and there was always a debate, you know, are, are our employees more productive with, with truly when they are at home if they don't have to have a commute and, you know, they have a shorter lunch break and their quality of life is better so they're more productive versus, hey, I, they're hiding and I can't, I can't see if they're, you know, messing around and not, not working. And the, what COVID has done is uh, it really accelerated that a data set for employers to now see that, hey, our folks truly are happier and more productive working from home. And so they allowed their folks to go home and they closed their offices or at least reduced their office space and, you know, sublease that out. And so now people aren't beholden to have to live in a certain market or near their employer. So if they were living in Flint, Michigan, by the way, and no offense to anybody in Flint, Michigan, that was my hometown, sorry, originally from, but you don't have to live in Flint, Michigan anymore. You can go live in Florida and you can still work for your employer and do your work because it is done virtually, it is done online and over the phone. And so as a result of that, then yeah, people were migrating to uh, you know the states that have a better quality of life because now they could. There was nothing that was holding them back to a certain employer and then therefore a certain market. Interesting. Okay, next question. What is the number one most common value add component to look for in a self-storage facility? Oh gosh, right off the bat, first is um, you know occupancy and you know top line revenue, and that's in, in the form of both uh, occupancy and then rental rates. Uh, if you've got some mom and pop owners or some unsophisticated owners or just folks that haven't paid really attention to the market and uh, rental rates, you know that's the first place that we look to see you know have they raised the rates recently and how close are they to the street rates of the the rest of the market their competitors in a three to five mile radius 
And then what's our occupancy? You know, those are the quickest ways that we can affect a rise in net operating income is on top line revenue, and that's through occupancy as well as then rental rates. Then sticking with a you know above line on on revenue, you know, can we add uh, the sales of locks, boxes, and moving supplies? I mean, that's an easy one. Um, just at the at the anytime somebody moves in at a new rental, you know, can we sell them a lock if they haven't uh, bought one? Uh, what about renters insurance? Are we offering renters insurance or tenant insurance? Uh, at the time of sale? Is it already there at the facility? Did they ever offer it? Can we offer it to the existing clients? Um, can we mandate it? And then, you know, force the folks that are in there to take some form of insurance as well as anybody that is coming in to rent that also adds to the net operating income. And then expansion. Do we have an additional acre? Do we have an additional two acres? And this facility is full or we know it's going to be full. And so we're going to add more buildings, more square footage that is also going to affect top line revenue. And then by coming in with our operational efficiencies on the expense side, and can we reduce payroll by implementing a, a kiosk or just by allowing online rentals and running this facility unmanned where people only rent by going online or through a call center or through their cell phone, um, thus you know significantly reducing payroll? Uh, can we uh, run more efficiently in terms of just our operations in general, our, our marketing? You know, can we consolidate that? Where are, Where is their ad spend? Is there any at all right now? You know, can we tap into the fact that we have economies of scale and we're already paying for our marketing. And so we're just by adding this to our you know, existing marketing program and our ad spend, you know, it doesn't add that much to this to this facility, uh, thereby reducing the overall expenses of this site and then making it run more efficiently. Um, so those, those are some of the, you know, maybe the quick and easiest ways, um, rental rates, occupancy, adding additional units, retail, tenant insurance, and then uh, reducing payroll. Those are the ones that we can move the needle the quickest and the most. Explaining and exploring creative financing options. I guess this is asking, how do you show Hey Otani, um, your self-storage investment? How do you find the creative way to finance this? Well, the creative way is uh, by process of elimination. You know, it is a, an art and a science. And so it starts by asking questions. Um, and the first question is always, as we mentioned, you know, is the seller is this seller willing to offer a seller carryback? And can we show them the benefits? Therefore, we don't have to go to the bank. We can perhaps get a higher LTV if the seller is our lender, maybe a lower interest rate. And, and then also we don't have to have that on our credit report, another loan if the seller is willing to finance it. And then we bring in our own cash on top of that, or we bring in some of our own private equity. So that's one. Um, if they are not interested in that, well, then would they be interested in and in say, instead of, financing 80% of the carryback, then maybe 10 or 20%. And we go get a bank loan at 60, 70, 80%. Um, 80% is a little high in today's uh, market, but um, you know, in years past and, and where we're headed, then the seller finances the remaining 20% or 10% or they fund 10% and we bring in 10% of our own capital into to the project. Um, or where does private equity come in? If we don't want to have as much of our cash in or very little, then we either use a combination of a seller carryback or a loan or both of those. And then our private equity that comes in and then also our own cash to have skin in the game and then varying percentages of each of those, just depending upon who wants to play at what level. And then what is the overall cost of our financing, keeping in mind that, you know, it still needs to pencil, you know, it still needs to cash flow, even if our cost of capital is a little bit higher. So those are the, the, the four main food groups that uh, that we you know utilize and add into the capital stack to get a deal across the finish line. Can, can I ask, this is my own question, how often do you run into investors that think they get creative financing but really don't, as opposed to those who, who really do 
but don't think they do. This is this is a twist on a psychology term. Sure. <clears throat> well, everybody will say that they they understand creative financing because they've heard of it and they've probably used it uh, to some degree. And and what what qualifies as creative financing? It could be as simple as just you know asking the seller to participate in the loan going up forward. So that I mean that's not traditional. What is considered traditional, um, I guess you could say, is cash, you know, or a loan and your own cash. Those are traditional. Anything outside of that would be considered another creative way. When you get um, three or more players in the capital stack, if you will, then it begins to, to get a little bit more creative in how you uh, finance it. So, you know, anybody who's done a little bit more than just a, a traditional loan in cash would say they've done creative financing. But if uh, all you've done is just uh, offered then a seller carry back and maybe some private equity, well, there's many other ways of um, acquiring real estate um, that are, are more creative than that. And so you could say, yeah, I know creative financing. And then, uh, you know, somebody who's been in the business like ourselves, you know, for um, 30 in real estate and 18 in self-storage. And we show you now an additional five ways that you can create the capital stack and, uh, and structure a, a deal. Then you realize, okay, I really didn't understand creative financing. And so those are the those are the conversations and the types of strategies and the types of creative structures that we talk about in, in our mastermind that are a little more advanced and a little more, uh, I guess, uh, outside of the box. Um, all legal, of, of course, but uh, just some other ways of being able to uh, dig a little bit deeper to get uh, some, some of these deals done. As we flip the switch from 2023 to 2024, I think it's always good to talk about taxes, so tax benefits and considerations when you're investing in self-storage. Yeah, so right now, you know, what we're seeing is uh, the Section 179 uh, depreciation, not being able to take that all in uh, in one year. So we've had the benefit of being able to do cost segregation studies by way of engineering studies to be able to pull out as much as possible from this uh, property to be able to depreciate and then accelerate that under Section 179 as quickly as possible. And so that will be going away. And so the tax benefit for um, folks to be able to buy a facility or get involved in our projects from as as a passive investor and getting that depreciation all up front to maybe offset a, a huge gain that you've had in that same tax year, well, that that's going away. It doesn't mean that the, the tax uh, benefit is going away. It just means that you can't take it all in the, the first year. And then, of course, there's always some some little nuances and changes to the tax code, and we won't, we won't know what those are until after the fact, unless it's something major. And but there's really nothing else coming down at the pike, Doug, that uh, has us either concerned or excited one way or another. Um, I think everybody's kind of waiting and holding their breath because we will be heading into an election year. And so uh, we know that with that, then will come sometimes changes, sometimes sweeping changes to the tax code, depending upon if there is a swing in terms of the political party that comes into uh, power. And so that's, I think, what everybody is looking to next is that we expect things to be somewhat um, status quo um, with regards to um, uh, taxes heading into 2024, with the exception of uh, Section 179 and, and how we treat depreciation, as I just mentioned. Tell me about mastering your due diligence. This is the time to get into self-storage. Due, di due diligence is always important. What are the key factors to consider when you're evaluating? Yeah, it's not even a factors. It's just uh, hitting your marks. And it is um, having a very thorough due diligence uh, checklist and um, really know what you're doing. I mean, this really comes down to, you know, there's a couple areas that we say, you know, here's where the rubber meets the road and it's in underwriting. Uh, and then also arguably in due diligence. Um, this is the place where you are dotting all your I's and crossing your T's, meaning that um, you want to find out just exactly what it is that you're buying and that it matches and represents uh, what the uh, broker's numbers and the offering memorandum has uh, presented to you and or the seller is telling you and giving you as well. So this is where we go back into every single you know, line item on the income and the expense statement and the P&L for this property for the past 12 months, if not um, further back. 
We want to find out just exactly all the income and match that up with the bank statements to make sure that the income that they're reporting matches up with their bank statements and, and sometimes matches up with their tax return, even though many times it doesn't match up with the income reported on a tax return. We want to see what that looks like. Um, any other ancillary income stream and any other profit center, any money that this facility made, we want to make sure it's not inflated. So that's what we're looking for on the income side. And then on the expense side, as you can imagine, Doug, and for the person who asked, you know, we want to make sure that all the expenses are accounted for. And um, I don't think there's been a facility yet that we've analyzed in which um, you know, all of the expenses were stated or that it was um, a, a little lower than what we had anticipated because we always find that um, there are some expenses they just didn't state in the P&L and that we you know, understand are there or that were understated. Um, management. Well, I, I, as a seller, I manage it. So, you know, there is no management fee. And if you manage it yourself, there is no management fee. Well, I'm not going to manage it myself. And we're going to underwrite a 5% for at least uh, that for a management fee and payroll for somebody to set at the site. And so here's the true cost. And that's what the appraiser is going to apply to this. And that's what a lender will as well. And um, even, even smaller items, just like a lawn care and, um, you know, landscaping, snow removal. Well, I, I got a truck and I plow the snow and you know, my, my, my nephew mows a lot and we pay him under the table, so I didn't put it on the peanut. Well, he's not going to do that for me and we're not going to do it that way. And so here's the true expense of the property. So just going down every single, again, line item and uh, making sure that we account for every single expense so that we're just, we're stressing the NOI, you know, we're beating up the NOI. We're truly coming to the actual net operating income, but we're, you know, we're going to stress it and beat it up a little bit and give worst case scenario for our underwriting purposes. And then uh, verifying the property taxes, which is a big one to make sure that first of all, it's stated as accurate, but then also how are, is the property tax going to be treated post sale? In other words, is this going to trigger a reassessment? And the seller, the last assessment showed a value of 500,000. We're buying the property now for a million, you know, seven, eight years later after the last time it was traded or assessed. And uh, if that's the case, then we're going to have a, a doubling of our property taxes, which affects our NOI and affects the value. And truly, you know, it would erode the value if we didn't account for that going into it. So just accounting for any difference in operations that is going to negatively impact the NOI once we buy it post-sale, um, like property taxes. So we, we do our due diligence and our underwriting, you know, they're, they're one and the same, but due diligence is making sure that um, everything is accounted for in it. But then in our underwriting, that's where we state it. But then we also take a look at our underwriting afterwards, Doug, to see what's it going to look like, you know, day 30 after under our ownership. And then in the first year, let alone the second and third, and uh, does it improve or, you know, is it going to operate um, a little more expensively than a cost structure that the previous seller had? Okay, last question. And this, you know, I think of it as an extension of due, dil due diligence, leveraging technology. It's changing all the time. There's new automation that's rolling in. How do you keep abreast of that? And what do you see happening here? Yeah, you know, so uh, this is another one of those questions to say, is it creative or not uh, Not creative? You know, is it technology really being used in self-storage or not? Because it's just kind of a static, you know, you know business and, and there's, you know, not many moving parts to it. But, you know, technology has really um, changed uh, dramatically and drastically the way that we operate now. You know, if we go into a facility that um, has not, where the owner has not really kept up with the advancements in technology, let alone advancements in self-storage technology, then there's a lot of efficiencies that we can affect with this. Um, as we mentioned before, now we, we, we develop and we purchase facilities and we run them unmanned with no person on site. Um, the, they rent the unit by way of their phone or a kiosk and or a call center and a video screen that is located inside of our, our office. We have several facilities that operate like that now and that we are also implementing depending upon the facility as we go forward. So, yeah, that's the main 
than security and uh, ingress, egress, and access to the facility. You know, the access systems by way of key fobs and key codes and electronic versus a physical lock that uh, somebody puts on or for us to have to overlock when somebody doesn't pay, to have to go and put a lock on. Um, now, if it's in our, our electronic locks, then the property management software on the 7th of the month, if they haven't paid by the 6th, on the 7th, everybody's locked out that hasn't paid. And the property management software does that at 1201 uh, on the 7th. You know, we don't have to physically go and do that any longer. And also, if somebody then, you know, if they forgot, if they paid late, you know, on the 8th, they pay. Well, they get access then immediately and the property management software system unlocks their their unit so that they can use their code to then uh, uh, unlock the unit to be able to get in instead of having to call our managers to go out and, you know, physically remove a lock for them. Um, AI is coming to play in many instances in terms of our marketing, as well as uh, generating uh, late letters and emails, communications. Um, a lot of this has been automated to not only take away from the on-site payroll, but also off-site, our, our third-party management or our off-site management um, that is not on-site that handles some of these other areas um, that in the past has caused, you know, been, been done by a human being on payroll that much of which uh, we're reducing much of that by about 15 to 20% on the back end of our oversight of our entire portfolio or our asset management, just by utilizing AI and, and setting up some better systems for that. So those are, those are the main areas in which uh, tech is uh, making a, a big difference. And of course, all, you know, all types of the different, you know, types of advancements in the security systems. You know, we have um, security systems now, Doug, where you can have a drone on site and it goes up every so often and it scans the facility, takes pictures of video, and then it goes back down and it does it on a regular basis just to kind of scan. So it's almost like a roving security guard, you know, that's monitoring the facility. And it works like that as well, because if somebody happens to be thinking about going in or, or is thinking about doing something on site and they see a drone or hear a drone, um, you know, that's, a, that's our own built-in uh, protection. So uh, yeah, tech is absolutely, it, it has really been our friend uh, in, in cell storage to be able to reduce some of these, um, you know, costly um, and, and time, time technology has really helped to be able to just uh, reduce the, the cost and the time it takes to be able to manage our facilities efficiently. There's more questions, but I think we leave those to a time in 2024. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, we just, we're starting to get warmed up, but um, uh, just, just an in-between so before the masterclass and before we uh, launch into 2024. So um, it's been fun, Doug, as always. Yeah, please do send questions in. Even if, you know, you, you've heard answers already, but there's a nuance to your question. Mm. Often we hear multiple questions along the same theme, but it stresses to us, this is something that, that people really want to hear you talk about. So even if you think it's been covered, send the question in. It's always valuable. Keep them coming, folks. As they uh, say, there are no stupid questions, and uh, the information always changes on uh, the back end as well. And so this is how we all stay fresh. This is how we get better together. So um, once again, thanks for joining us, Storage Nation, and I'm looking forward to seeing you all in 2024. Everyone have a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and um, cheers. And uh, we are going to toast um, in 2024 to an incredible year ahead, and uh, we'll be sharing more of that on the Masterclass and in the next podcast. So until then, take care, everyone. Hey gang, wait, three things before you leave. First, don't forget to follow the Soft Storage Podcast and turn on your notifications so you never miss another episode. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review if you like the show. Second, be sure to share your favorite episodes and more via Instagram. And don't forget to tag us. And lastly, head to the links in the show description and hit follow on Twitter and Facebook to get a front row seat as we grow and scale our business and bring you along with us.